hi everybody, I'm Carly Vigna and this is episode 245 of At Percussion. Today we're recording on Tuesday, July 28th and with me as usual are Ksenia Komjanovic. Hey Carly. Hey Ksenia, how's it going there after the storm? Everything's beautiful now, sunny, everything's great. We have other <laughs> concerns that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Let's get on with it then and Ben Charles is here too. Hey Ben. Hey Carly, how are you? Good, good. Um, well, and without further ado, I'd like to go ahead and introduce our guest for today. We are so very grateful to have uh, Michael Burrett, who's president-elect of PAS, also served as chair of the PAS COVID-19 Task Force, as well as, of course, professor of percussion and chair of Winds, Brass, and Percussion at the Eastman School of Music. Uh, we have Andrea Vinay, who is the current president of the Florida chapter of PAS and also assistant professor of percussion at University of North Florida and Thad Anderson, who's Associate Professor of Percussion at University of Central Florida. All were involved in the PAS COVID-19 Task Force. Um, so thank you so much for all of you for being here and especially to Michael for chairing the task force and for assembling this crew of members for the episode. Uh, welcome back, you've all been on before, so welcome back to the show. Thanks. Um, thanks. Thanks for being here. I wanna start off just by saying thank you for all your work on this document. For anybody that hasn't seen it yet, um, PAS published in early July a document called Managing COVID-19 Protocols and Administering Percussion Performance Curriculum. It can be found on the PAS website, pas.org. We shared it from our page too, um, and it's all over social media. I think we've, we've probably all encountered it. It's easy to find. And it's a really wonderful resource, um, helpful for school administrators, for faculty, I think for students and also performers to help guide our decision-making um, for safe in-person playing and teaching and instruction and everything. Um, but before we go any further with these guidelines, I do wanna emphasize everyone should definitely follow the guidance from the CDC, from local government, county, state, everything, and of course the policies that your own institution is setting. Um, so I thought we'd start off, have, have the schools that you all teach at made a decision yet about in-person or remote learning for the fall semester? Um, what's happening at Eastman this fall? Yeah, um, so right now at Eastman, um, the plan is for us to start uh, classes on the 26th of August and um, uh, the, the nuances to that um, are gonna include um, all of the, essentially all of the academic classes, whether it be music classes like theory, music history, things of that nature, as well as humanities, because Eastman has a contained humanities department as well. Um, we have students that travel to University of Rochester campus, but they're, if they want to, they can actually take other classes at Eastman. So any of that kind of stuff is gonna be taught asynchronously online um, for several reasons. One, so that the building um, can be less populated and you know, we have to, uh, get, get down to a 50% uh, um, uh, population in the building at all times. So um, by doing that, we, we move, you know, a lot of demands out of the building, thankfully. And uh, the building is being used to teach uh, the performance curriculum in person so that um, we can then take some of the studios, for example, you know, a voice teacher that has a studio that's too small to uh, accommodate the protocols necessary to teach voice with all the aspiration that goes on with that uh, scenario. Uh, we're gonna use classrooms and some rehearsal spaces as well as the flute teacher and some other woodens and, you know. So we're trying to move things around and adjust and re-accommodate re the building to, to allow for that. And then, and, you know, so we're gonna do that and then there's, you know, we can get into the details of, of protocols in terms of other 
minutia. The other, the other issue for New York is that um, the tri-state area, so it's like New York, uh, Connecticut, and I think it's Massachusetts, or is it, I don't know. There's New Jersey, I'm not sure. I should know, <laughs> I don't know. But um, it's, uh, all I know is New York, uh, and uh, there's, you know, there's quarantine for 31 states now. So um, many of my students are in, you know, states like Texas and Indiana and Missouri, and so, uh, or Florida, for example, um, where uh, they have to quarantine for two weeks before they can actually be, so the school has to accommodate that, so there's a special dorm for them to go to and all this of bringing meals to them. And it's, it's really, you know, the, the levels of things that are being done by the administration and um, I'm sure everyone feels this way at their schools. It's, it's really to me very impressive that we're, um, and of course we would do it, but you still have to be grateful and my mind gets blown by all the, all the work that people do to, to make this, at least to, to attempt to make this happen, so. There's so much to consider on so many different levels. I hadn't hadn't thought about that, you know, with, I know there's travel restrictions and coming from Florida pretty much anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. I know you have to quarantine for 14 days, but mm -hmm. I didn't think about it with the dorms and everything. Um, yeah. Well, let's, let's see how things are going in Orlando. Thad, what's the plan at ECF this fall? We start back up on August 24th, uh, but our campus is at the moment uh, at 30% capacity within buildings. And it's to remain at 30% until things improve dramatically in Florida, uh, which could be could be a while. So uh, there's still a lot of up in the air. Uh, but fortunately, uh, we are treating, we're able to treat the percussion studio like it's a laboratory on campus in, in a similar way that uh, a scientist or um, a medical professional would need a specific laboratory space to do their work. Uh, we're, we're able to treat the percussion studio and the instruments in that in that space uh, in a similar way. So uh, it shouldn't affect the percussion area uh, like it will affect other larger courses. And we're a very large university with uh, about 66,000 students. And uh, so there's a lot to uh, try to manage with um, looking at August 24th now being less than a month away. So. Things are fluid at the moment, but um, it looks like uh, we're, for the most part, uh, re remote with exceptions um, in, in, thankfully, areas like percussion so that we our students can continue to work and, and uh, do what they need to do, so. Well, that's good to hear. And we'll, we'll get into more detail later about um, kind of safe ideas, safe protocols for sharing space like practice rooms and studio space. Um, moving further north, Andrea, how's Jacksonville looking these days? It's good. Um, you know, you're in Florida too, so we, ha we, you know, we see what's happening on the news. Uh, the weather's nice though, so that's good. It's a good time to be home, I guess, this time of year. Um, the UNF decided to come back uh, to be in person with a lot of hybridized courses, much like um, Michael and Thad talked about. Uh, with percussion, luckily, um, I'm going to be able to teach. We're going to plan on teaching in person as much as we can. Some of my like pedagogy will be hybrid and, and online. And they have also reduced the class sizes across the campus to 25 to 30% uh, in the buildings and moved a lot of stuff to remote. Um, uh, one unfortunate thing is that they're moving a lot of the academic courses into our large performance spaces from uh, on the university with, you know, large lecture halls. So that, um, I'm not sure that we're getting to spread out into those spaces as far as the music department goes uh, to accommodate large ensembles. Um, but, you know, they've let faculty 
elect to teach off campus or on campus and students as well. Um, so as far as percussion, we have our own practice rooms and our own little studio. Uh, so I think we're going to try to just self-govern that the best we can and, and follow the protocols uh, given to us by the university and the CDC and, um, you know, plan to do as much as we can safely in person. So, yeah, great. Well, there's a lot at this point, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of planning happening, of course, but then there's a certain level of fluidity and not knowing what to expect. You know, I've been in several faculty meetings where it's like, well, let's talk about all the possibilities and we don't know what it's going to look like yet. Um, well, Ksenia and Ben, you're both in different parts of Texas. What's the plan where you are? Um, so for us, our university has come up with something called hybrid flexible instruction mode, um, which long story short means that uh, all lecture courses will be broadcast so students can participate from home synchronously if they need to. Uh, they'll also be recorded and they can be viewed at a later date asynchronously as the terms go. There's, we're actually like, we have a meeting on Friday about it, uh, but there's, yeah, the, the long story short is we are being flexible and we are aware that we need to continue to be flexible. That's about the Cliff Notes version of it. Um, same here, except that uh, Corpus has had, has been in the New York Times far too many times in the past month for really bad numbers. So the community is, is not doing well. So we, we were planning on doing hybrid, but now there's a lot of faculty members and students who are raising concern that that might not be a good idea. So we will, we will have to see what's going to happen, I don't know, in a week or two. It's never good to see um, where you live on CNN and in the New York Times quite as much as we have been lately. No, not a good thing. Yeah. Um, ben, I think you have something. So, well, yeah, I guess I'll fire this question to, to Michael about the, the COVID-19 task force. So one, one thing that's been happening a lot recently related to COVID and unrelated to COVID is we have what I call armchair cons conspiracy theorists where people are coming up with all sorts of crazy ideas and they read something on the internet and they say, oh, it must be true. And I generally don't engage with these people on social media or anything, but someone I know actually started messaging me with these bizarre conspiracy theories and I finally had to like engage with this. Uh, and, and the line that, that is always parroted to me by a conspiracy theorist is do your own research. And that's a very dangerous term because reading things on the internet is not doing research, right? So research is like reading journal articles, making abstracts, uh, you know, conducting your own scientific research, having double blind studies, etc. cetera. Uh, and as percussionists, we, we are not probably the, the medical experts to be doing uh, COVID research. So can you talk about how, how you went about this in a way that would give legitimacy to this study? The conspiracy theory about me being an alien, there is some truth to that. Um, and, um, but I feel like we'll need another podcast to address that. Okay, so. Well, thank um, you. No, the, the conspiracy theory that I heard is that you're actually Captain Planet. That's the one that I've been hearing. That's right, right. Well, like I said, we have to get to that. We can't get into that now. So, um, but um, anyways, uh, you know, we, I mean, you're essentially asking me how we went about getting our information to, and, and, and in a sense, <laughs> believe that what we were presenting was credible, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and when we started this, um, I think it was back in mid-May when someone actually emailed me and said, hey, is, is PAS doing anything, uh, or maybe it was early, early, I don't know when it was, but, you know, is PAS doing anything to um, 
address any of the uh, COVID uh, protocols for teaching in person next fall. And I was like, yeah, at that time I was kind of like, I'm still trying to survive this spring. Give me a second. Here. But, um, but, you know, we, I thought, wow, this is a great idea. We should look at this. And so we just, you know, Joshua Simons and I got together with Chris Hanning, who's the current president. We talked about this. And then they said, can you take charge of this? I said, sure. And, um, you know, we sat down and put together some people that were on the executive committee, like, like Nick Thad, for example, and Julie Dyvela, and then other people that I knew would have great input for us, like Andrea, Jim Campbell, uh, Dave Gerhardt from Yamaha, um, and uh, Mike Eustace, also a great teacher in the public school system. Um, and, um, you know, try to get some different perspectives from that standpoint. And then in terms of the science and the experts, so to say, which, you know, I guess as you, um, you drill down on this, um, I hesitate to say that there aren't any <laughs> in some ways because, you know, everyone's still trying to figure so many things out. And there was so little information at the beginning of this that felt um, in terms of what, you know, you know, uh, how does this spread? You know, does the sand surface is long? All of that kind of information kept changing a lot, right? So we went to two studies, primarily two studies initially. One was a CBDNA document that we had a time to read through and go through all the research that they had done, which was extensive and good. I know they're doing a, a more thorough uh, uh, project now. Um, actually, I think it might be finished. I don't remember. Is it finished, that? I don't remember. Um, I haven't seen any new documents. I, I, saw, I keep seeing stuff come in and out, but that was good. And there was one that was done in um, Freiburg, Germany, that was translated that was really, really powerful. That had more details and some more information about you know, vent ventilating rooms and um, as well as some other incendiary things that came through. Yamaha had some information that came out and, you know, and, and then Andrew was gracious enough to go online and do a lot of work uh, in researching the UV light situation for us. So, you know, we tried our best to start with credible educators and people that they were connected with scientifically um, that were doing research on this and start from that and um, uh, use the, the information that, that they had provided at the time that was published um, uh, to, 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 get, to get things rolling. Thank you so much for, for doing all of that. We know it's a, it's a lot of work and it's big responsibility, but you have one of the things that I especially appreciate about this document is that it has some precision to it. There's something that's measurable instead of, you know, I've been tuning into so many of these webinars over the summer, which are like, how do we tackle this in individual instructor or chamber music? And everyone's just like, do your best and remain flexible. Yes, but can someone tell us what size room and how do we treat our instruments, especially for percussion, it's such a specific type of situation. Um, so I was gonna extend the question to chamber music. Um, obviously, so in-person instruction is going on for as long as possible. How are you personally going to go about doing chamber music with all the guidance that you've provided for us? Well, um, I guess I'll start and then pass it along here. I, guess, uh, uh, I think every school is probably going to handle it differently depending on, you know, I, I, like everything else, um, it's unique to your situation, especially in terms of room size um, and in terms of your studio size. And in terms of, uh, as it turns out with the Eastman School of Music, the age of the building. We had a scientist come into Eastman uh, in June, a guy named Dr. Manchester, which sounds, sounds like a science fiction character, doesn't it, Dr. Manchester? <laughs> yeah. So he came in, Dr. Manchester came in and, and, and did research on the building. And he, he met with the whole faculty and says, well, it turns out that there is no ventilation at Eastman. Okay, so there you go. 
So, you know, the building was, most of the building is 1921, so, um, which is actually older than me. So, um, so because of that, we're going to do, like we talked about in the document, we're going to, everyone's going to be wearing masks and we're going to be distancing. Uh, and I'm going to pick repertoire that allows me to do unique setups, people in pods. Um, you know, we list repertoire, of course, on the document and we tried to limit it to quintets. It doesn't mean like I have a space where I could actually do a sextet or, you know, because we're going to use the Eastman Theater, which is a huge concert hall for our concerts and the, the footprint of the stage is quite big. So it will allow me a lot of flexibility and the rehearsal space I have is also the same size. Having said that, I'm still going to be careful with that and try to not get crazy. I'm not going to do like some crazy, you know, Zanakis Persifasa where I have everyone's got 4,000 instruments. I've got to be more... Um, economical in terms of what I'm picking in, in terms of repertoire setup wise um, and you know uh, considering you know, pieces that were you know they're not required to share instruments if they are required can I have another one does it make sense for me if I really want to do this piece like we're going to do a piece by Vignal, um called the water sextet that we uh -huh. actually did when Andrea was in school um, and uh, requires some sharing but we have enough like have to share chimes we're going to have an extra set of chimes and do some things like that, but that's primarily a keyboard piece so we can kind of separate and make it economical that way. But I think everyone needs to, you know, for those listening into the podcast and trying to make decisions, I think, first of all, like, like was said, I think Thad said this best or Andrea, that, you know, everyone's situation is unique and she needs to check with the people that are giving them information at their institutions. But, um, you know, the size of the room, like we talked about in the document, how much space does that allow? And then, of course, in between rehearsals, you're going to have to, uh, I think most, most people are requiring 15 to 30 minutes of um, a time cushion or time for the room to air out and space out. So, although I did ask the question yesterday, we, we thought, us guys were talking, I said, you know, when, when we're, when, okay, you rehearse for an hour, everyone needs to leave. Okay, where do we go? You know, it's like, <laughs> we got to find, there's this place we're all going to go. We don't know where that is now. We're all going to go somewhere. In the brutal so, snow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that's, that's how we're going to try to handle it. And one thing that was clear in the PAS document is you want to, with, with everybody within their own pod or their own individual setup, you want to make sure there's at least six feet distance at any point. You know, you could be standing at the low end of the marimba or at another instrument and maintain mm. that distance as you're, as you're thinking about it. And also the, uh, the appendix in this document, there's a long list for anybody that hasn't checked um, detailing instrumentation for small ensembles and it is so valuable. Thank you for putting that together. Um, and one, one other thing, Michael, you mentioned ventilation is an issue and I know this is a common thing. I can't tell you how many percussion studios I've been in where it's just like stuffy and you kind of know there's not, not great um, airflow. What is the, the school going to be able to do for any rooms with, with not great ventilation? And is there anything like you know that that faculty can do going into a studio that makes it healthier like like an air purifier or fan or what's what's the best thing there to improve ventilation i mean we should check with your specialist right someone someone i, I would imagine that every institution is having someone do some sort of scientific research on you know the nature of or the <laughs> the efficiency or lack of in terms of uh their HVAC systems, but um, leave doors and windows open if you can. I mean, you guys that are in Florida can do that longer than we can up here um, in terms of the weather when the seasons change. Um, but also I know that we're gonna, gonna install some foggers in the rooms. I know that that's gonna be happening in Eastman where they're gonna 
fog the rooms. Uh, I think at the, at the end of the day, maybe, I don't know how often that's going to happen. We're certainly not going to be standing in there where they're fogging the room, but there's some kind of fogging system that's going to happen. So I don't know if anyone else has other, other ideas to jump in on this. Um, I would just add uh, the, the concept of shock ventilation came up in our research. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this is basically, as Michael mentioned, the idea of opening doors and windows to really help flush the system. Um, whatever system is there and, and, and clean the air. Uh, so, you know, if that's possible, then that's something that would be advisable in, in, in your facility. I want to add also while I'm on here, if I can just say that Thad was unbelievably valuable and did a tremendous amount of work in helping me put this guy to this document. You know, he, he essentially took all the notes and all the meetings that we had and typed it all up. And then he and I got together and went through all of it word for word and retyped and did this. But Thad, did so much work um, that I would never have survived without this guy. So I want to thank him for that. So team effort for sure, though. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. That is the lyrical wordsmith of the document. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, it's beautiful. <laughs> Technical typer. That's that was me. <laughs> well, before we get too off track, I think um, Andrea, did you have anything to add about chamber music at UNF this fall? We got directives from our department on room occupancy limits based on what the normal occupancy is. So my percussion studio can have 24 people and they knocked it down to 25% capacity. Um, so wow. I can only have six in there at a time. And I think, again, with ventilation, it's, there's limited research done and it's, it's sort of like we're all kind of making decisions and we just have to try to look at the experts and, and you know use that as our decision makers but they went through the whole music building and gave us a capacity for each room and i i think that probably had to do with the size and the ventilation that's happening in in the space um so i can have six people and uh, we talked about shock ventilation and i think they're revamping the hvac systems in all the buildings uh but um i i was thinking about getting an air purifier actually that um just to have in that room and buying it myself and then also getting one for the office because I don't think it could hurt. Mm -hmm. We have an outside door very close, but we don't have any windows. Um, and the ceiling's really high, luckily. So I think, um, you know, I'm going to stay within those parameters. And then I, as far as rehearsals go, I'm actually, because there's been a lot of time freed up, I just had this great idea last night. I'm, tr I'm trying to figure things out, but I, a lot of classes are being moved online. A lot of music faculty are opting to do things remotely, which means that there's going to be more space during the day and things not happening on campus. So I'm going to try to see if I can rehearse percussion ensemble throughout the week during times that are not our normal time so that I have time to transition between pieces and take the proper breaks and that they have time to set up gear safely. Um, you know, like orchestra is going to be remote. So I, first I'm going to see if that's happening at the normal time, because then I can just, instead of trying to cram things in and like, all right, we're going to rehearse for 20 minutes. Now we got to take a 15 minute break and mm -hmm. try to deal with gear. Just try to maximize right. the time and see, um, you know, when we can do things so I can just spread stuff out uh, liberally throughout the week um, and then try to maybe rehearse the same group of people, keep them in the same pieces and kind of, clump them together as much as possible. You know, I was going to add to that, you know, one suggestion, <clears throat> and I forget if we mentioned this thing in the document or not, but the idea of also like multiple rehearsals simultaneously, if you can get, if you're able to, and I'm sure people are going to be thinking about this anyways, um, if you have, a, maybe another, like Andrea says, maybe there's a room that's not being used that normally 
was that is now freed up because of the online teaching instruction. Um, you could have you know, two two pieces going on simultaneously, you know, because one of the one of the challenges is keeping everyone busy and feeling like they're getting a robust curriculum, you know. So uh, I know that's something I'm going to look at if I can get another space that I can use and I can kind of toggle between two pieces. That's another another option, you know. So. And just just piggybacking off these ideas. Uh, one other thing that's come up, and uh, particular, particularly at UCF, uh, we, we actually learned last Monday that wind instruments and vocalists will not be permitted indoors um, until further notice. Uh, so there's been a lot of work uh, over the past week to uh, look into outdoor rehearsal options in shaded spaces, uh, which was something I was already considering with chamber percussion. Uh, we have a, a shaded loading dock space, which would be perfect for spreading out um, and using the natural ventilation of, of the outdoors uh, as a safe place, a safer place for us to potentially rehearse and uh, looking into those kinds of ideas. Um, and luckily in Florida, we can do that later into the year where in Rochester can't do that so much. <laughs> no, but I, I do. I, I think there's a joke there somewhere. Um, <laughs> like we're no longer going to allow wind players and vocalists in the building. There's something, but it's probably not appropriate for us to go into that now, but I think it's safe on a percussion podcast to at least Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Um, I was going to add, um, since I, well, our school also has a very old building and so on, so I'm not sure how many things I want to risk. I've decided to, if we can go back in person, because all of that is up in the air as well, I will do uh, a fully instrumentless chamber music recital for the kids and we will rehearse everything outside. So anything from you know, the ball piece, which is a trio where you can stand very far away to playing maybe table music, sort of, again, uh, separated and creating that so that we can set ourselves up just with our bodies and what little we need um, across campus and then perform if that comes. Um, there is enough music for an hour long recital. So that's another suggestion for people who perhaps don't have enough marimbas, you know, to double things and or in big enough rooms, there, there still is stuff that can be worked on. Um, but I was gonna maybe shift the discussion a little bit just because the document is so well put together um, and For the listeners, please go check it out because it literally has everything quantified and listed and numbered so on um, I would like to go on and ask you about some of these um, Issues that come up which we didn't get to talk about which is uh, for example with auditions coming up for the coming year um, yes, we're a little bit far out, but what changes do you anticipate in making uh, to the audition process for undergraduate and graduate programs, especially for kids who maybe, you know, they're going to be remote learning and they don't have a five octave marimba and they're playing timpani on a practice pad, yada, yada. We know that we're flexible, but how are you, how are you thinking about it? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. My wife actually works in the admissions office, so I have intel, but um, we're going to go, obviously, online and, and do recorded auditions um, for sure. And, um, you know, that's, those are great questions about students that have difficult, I just gave a Zoom lesson to a, a young man in Cleveland area yesterday and he had a xylophone in his living room his parents' house. I can't imagine my parents would be thrilled if I had the xylophone in the living room. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I see, I think, um, I know everyone has a different situation and um, it's been interesting for me uh, to see both my students and other students that I've, you know, connected with during this time, you know, they have really become very resourceful about getting themselves something, you know, um, to uh, be productive on in ways of, 
of, of finding uh, instruments and things like that. So, you know, I know actually people have talked about, this, is, this goes a little bit beyond your question, but it sort of relates to it, the idea of some of the companies, and I know it's difficult coming up with some kind of uh, either lease to own or rental uh, uh, scenarios that some of the bigger companies might have some clinic stock instruments or, you know, and I haven't really talked to anyone like John Whitman at Yamaha about that or anything, you know, because I know that there is limitations there, but, um, you know, trying to find ways to help uh, people get, get a hold of instruments, you know, so uh, I think it's a challenge. It's going to be difficult. I, I, to me, I think I'm going to have to take it a, a, a person at a time and see you know what that does and unfortunately uh, probably for many of us but you know i like you guys you know you, you know students and you <clears throat> probably have been recruiting some of them for a while or at least are have been connected with some students that you're probably going to be seeing audition and so uh the good thing about that is you have at least some prior knowledge of who they are their abilities uh to uh help with your assessment you know um i also we're going to do one other thing that i've thought about is and that is uh, once I do an initial round of listening to the recordings. I'm probably going to do a, a second round of a live Zoom interview with them. Um, not making them necessarily play, like, can you only hear your syndrome or run more time, you know? No, but I, you know, I'm probably going to just, I want to just know who they are a little bit, you know, and talk to them, especially the ones I don't know. You know, we get some students from China and other parts of the world that all this, so it's nice to have a way at least to talk to them. And so I think there'll probably be a second scenario that I'm gonna try and do that may not be musical, but just kind of a interview component. I'm still trying to figure out how my students might be able to prepare for our ensemble audition in the fall. Uh, but certainly we, we do have, we have been doing um, virtual or remote auditions uh, using get accepted or accepted and in the past. So I, I imagine that we'll have to rely on that um, model more going into uh, the audition season and um, but uh, yeah I think there's still a lot of creative ways and and certainly I think it, having an opportunity to get some face time if that's digitally uh, with with a prospective student mm -hmm. as Michael mentioned is, is a great idea so I think um, it's the first thing that came to mind when you asked which is a challenge because I sent out a whole list of excerpts and all the things and I it was even keeping in mind the limitations to having instruments with what I picked but they recently moved our ensemble auditions to be online and knowing that a lot of my students can't get on campus and probably have not had a lot of instruments over the summer because they got, you know, they got sent home during spring break. So I couldn't check out a lot of things. Um, so I scaled down and changed the list again to be like, like what you can do on a snare drum or a drum pad and then like a two drum A2 that they could do on whatever they have and try to just come up with something's reasonable that they can do if they're at home with no instruments or with limited time before they get on instruments. Um, you know, and since the large ensembles, I guess for a lot of people, knowing what your orchestra and band directors are gonna need, because a lot of people are not using a lot of percussion this semester. And so kind of looking at their needs can kind of dictate what you need to have your students do, uh, you know, when they're coming in and just sort of work with them and meet them where they're at. And online auditions, I mean, somebody, I think that's an easier thing really because it's easy to make a tape of the assigned repertoire that you need to audition. And we've been doing that in some capacity everywhere for a while. So like that is like, you know, I think less of a stressor because kids are in school able to, you know, make a video. Uh, but the ensemble auditions is tough for sure because they can't just, you know, they didn't go home with their clarinet in their, in their apartment over the summer. So I mean, gear, that's the biggest stressor in this whole thing is gear access to students, I guess, is my, uh, 
biggest thing that stresses me out. <laughs> yeah, uh, for yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, I was going to mention that there's a, um, uh, I just found out because I'm, I'm judging that, you know, the, the Trump competition, you know, mm -hmm. you heard of this international. And I just, we just finished the prelim round and we have 30 people that are invited, but they're not holding it in person because for obvious reasons, just in November. And so they've come up with an online way to do it. And it's interesting, I guess there's, uh, I don't know, online um, programs or something where they're gonna send them this program or an app and they're only able to record once, right? So they can't, so they're gonna do their, do their second round and I don't know if it's the kind of thing where once you turn this thing on, you've got 20 minutes and it's done, right? And mm -hmm. you can't do it again. I think it's interesting, you know, it's like, you know, so that, that way it's going to be more like instead of someone having like 16 times to try and get through velocities, you know, they're going <laughs> to, here you go, you know, and right. um, I don't know that I would do that with, with online. It's an interesting thing. I thought when I heard that, I thought, hmm, you know, it's interesting. Not that I'm trying to test them, but it is interesting to say here. Because you know, here's here's who we really are, and here's what I'm doing. And um, but anyway, just I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that that was out there, and that may, that may be something that we eventually, you know, all of us get involved with. I don't know. So that just makes me think of these like action shows where like they have like the security camera, and then somebody hacks the camera to replay the same image over and over again, so they don't know that <laughs> like the building's getting robbed or whatever. I just I, I immediately went to like who's going to figure out how to do that. <laughs> And that person exactly. should win. Exactly. So this is why Andrea got into Eatman. She she was hacking all of the systems, and it's like isn't it the Star Trek thing where the the, Kobo, the Kobayashi Maru thing that that Kirk uh, sabotages the or no was it someone does right it makes yeah. it, don't believe in a no win situation. No, no, yeah. How do you how do you manage to watch Star Trek as well? Like, oh my God, you got to watch Star Trek, you know. I mean, you know. Yeah. Before breakfast, first Picard thing. is really good. MGB, have you seen Picard? Yes, I saw Picard. I did watch it. It's not bad. I cried at the end. I loved it. It was so good. You cried? I love it. Wow. Yeah. And well, that's speaking... how you become a great percussionist. <laughs> speaking along futuristic lines, um, one big question that I had after reading the the whole PAS document is I wanted to find out like what is this UVC wand how, like what do we recommend that schools buy how do we use it um, and Andrea and Michael mentioned that you've been doing you did a lot of research along these lines um, what advice do you have like what what should we be getting and how do we use it and what does it do well first of all I have to give the disclaimer that um, there's been a lot of research and there has been uh, mixed reviews on using UVC light for certain things. And I knew that going into this, and that's why I tried to include a lot of sources just on what is UV light itself and how are other entities using it and have been using it. Um, you know, even since the start of when I, when I started doing research, by the time we published the document, there was already a lot more companies making devices. And then I'm now I'm hearing about UVC far light, which is, uh, I think where it's effective at killing germs, but it is not harmful to human skin and eyes, which UV light can be. But like, I didn't find any commercial devices because I think it's such a new thing. Um, so just putting out that disclaimer, like I realize, you know, uh, and in the document we tried to discuss like what it is and how it can be harmful 
and that you have to really be safe about these practices and read the instructions. Um, but there's three types of UV light, A, B, and C. UVC is the shortest wave light, um, and it uh, is the most effective at killing germs and disinfecting things, <clears throat> but it's not safe for long-term use like on your skin or if you have contact with your eyes. So since the 80s, they've been using this like to sanitize air in hospitals. So like all the air intake gets filtered through this light, uh, which isn't shining on people, but things are passing through it. And then hospitals also use really big lamps, like expensive $4,000 lamps to like disinfect an area um, while nobody is in the room. And so there has been like air purifiers that have a UV component to them for a while now. And then there's also little UV lamps that work within the certain nanometers that you need to kill germs. Um, there's several of them that are on the market. Uh, some of them have ozone, which is an additional thing that it produces that is more effective at cleaning, I guess, but it is uh, not the safest thing because you have to aerate the room for like an hour or something after you use it. So uh, you just have to check for that and I put that in the document as well. Um, but basically, like UVC light is supposed to kill stuff. You can't have it on your skin. You can't use it to sanitize your hands. Um, and you're not supposed to be in the room when you're using it. So there's been lamps that cover a certain area of the room um, that theoretically should be effective uh, in sanitizing the room. But you have to be careful because you can't have people in the room when they're on. And you can't uh, you know, use them to sanitize your skin. And so there's a lot of different ones. What I tried to do is go to w websites and read about the light and then find reviews by reputable sources because there's a lot of different wands out there and then there's lamps. Um, and just kind of look at what looked legit and if it had been reviewed or, or talked about on the news or something. Um, and, you know, just seeing, making sure the nanometers and like the numbers that I did at my research in, you know, made sense, uh, which is like, I think it's 257 nanometers is like the number, the ballpark, or 243. I'm sorry, I'd have to go. It's in the document. Um, but looking for that number and making sure it's made from a reputable source. And, you know, again, it's, there's new stuff coming out all the time. Um, and I just like tried to find reviews of people who had actually used these devices and had positive things to say. Um, and, uh, and the UVC far light looks like it's promising. There's just no devices out yet. So I have a little wand and my department chair bought wands for each of our practice rooms to use on the marimbas, which will take a while, but people use them for keys and like the cell phone bath things. Have you ever seen those where you disinfect your cell phone? No. Um, you put them like in a clam. It's like how you clean your cell phone without using liquids. Mm -hmm. They're using okay. UVC light to disinfect uh... the cell phones. Uh, so the wands are just that kind of light and you use it to disinfect things that can't get wet. So that's what we're going to do for things like rosewood and yeah. marimbas. And then I, I bought a UV lamp myself um, that I'm going to use. And, you know, just I, th I thought I would check it out, order one and see what it's all about. Um, and it has a motion sensor, which is nice. So if somebody walks in the room, the dog walks in the room. Um, oh. So there's a lot of, you know, you'd be surprised actually, there's a lot of air purifiers that have that component like built into it. May either it's like the air it's intaking is going through the UV light or there's a light bulb that shows in the room. But I just never even realized that. I never noticed that before. Um, yeah, I didn't either. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Um, and again, that's all, I think, really well described in the document. And if anyone has any specific issues, you can always just, or questions, just always contact the instrument manufacturer. They've all been really gracious and respond very quickly with all their instructions on how you should treat the instruments that they make. Um, I was going to ask a little bit about, okay, worst case scenario, we all go back to online learning, which has not been a dream, but um, I'd like to throw this question to Thad. Um, did you find out that anything that you tried in the spring worked really well uh, for remote learning? Any tips and tricks that you can share with us for the upcoming year in case we go there? Uh, sure. Yeah, no, a great question. And, mm -hmm. and I'm sure all, all six of us experienced some, some positives that came out of uh, March and April and May and um, on into the summer months. But, uh, you know, one thing that I learned um, and that my students learned a lot about, and I'm sure with all of you and your students as well, is, is the power of uh, recording yourself and uh, both audio and video. Um, and then, you know, like, like any coach, uh, having a chance to review that footage, uh, audio video with the student, uh, if it's slowing it down or whatever you're doing in real time, um, uh, and, or, you know, in a virtual scenario, um, that's, that's a really powerful thing. Recording ourselves isn't anything new. We do that often, whether it's a performance or it's in the practice room. Um, but when we were forced into that scenario and in, in the asynchronous, uh, concepts of, of applied teaching, um, it became a really valuable tool for us. And I think it is something that we can continue with, whether it's a mixed mode uh, or completely virtual. And, uh, you know, those uh, those little positives that did come out of what we were all thrown into. Um, moving to uh, digital communication, more regular digital communication and digital tools, file sharing and and uh, you know modern uh, LMS uh, learning um, using the web you know that that's stuff that we've all done uh, or been doing but now we're we're forced into doing it and little little bits of of that can continue to exist um, if we're face to face you know back to normal or if we're in some mixed um, scenario or again, of course if we if we're forced to go back fully remote uh, but I'm sure we can all share some some positives that came out of the spring. I was going to add that um, I totally agree with what you're saying at that and I also found that the recording was much better than any live actual live playing you know, once in a while but generally speaking the recording and you know, and, you know in some ways it was actually uh, it wasn't as good as being in the room with them of course but it was a great way to um, uh, assess them and you know just to share that together let's watch it together and I can, I mean, you go back and watch it again and see, see i'm talking about here and you go, it's great i mean it's really invaluable and it's something that you know i would do it once in a while but after having done it a lot i think i would probably do it more even when when hopefully we get back to a more uh, normal scenario uh, i was going to say the one thing i did find that i maybe now i'd be curious to know if anyone else felt the same way is having a, a sense of schedule for them so rather than like you know we'll figure it out next week i kind of had a less i pretty much kept my lesson schedule that was in place prior to us splitting you know with a couple nuances depending on the situation like anything else like you know things change from week to week but generally speaking there was a schedule and i think that they the students like that because i think it for them you know, having structure like that um was really important outside of losing so much structure you know so and I think the other thing that I found, uh, and I, I was on another Zoom call with some other 
professors that we've been getting together from other percussion professors from around the country. And, um, and uh, the most important thing to me that really hit me was that for them, the connection, the personal connection um, of just seeing each other and talking and aside from any musical engagement or instructional engagement it was just us talking and um you know knowing that knowing that i was still there kind of you know in a way you know and uh, uh feeling like there was some you know uh, someone that they could talk to that not that there was no one there they could talk to but there was a lot of of course and i think you know we've, we've talked about this before there was a lot of uh, um there's a difficult emotional time for many people it still is and um uh, I felt like my role was as much about helping them, and it typically is this way anyways, but I felt it more profoundly that my role with them as a mentor and as someone who was going to help them, uh, and it helped me. It wasn't just them, it helped me to see them. It helped me to either, whether I saw the whole class online or the individual students online, and I think that's something that's going to continue, aside from other stuff, you know, that we're doing. Um, really helpful um, and then I was going to extend the question to um, have you had any experiences with students who might have you know called in and said I'd like to defer uh, my enrollment or I'd like to take a break this semester whether it's for you know mental health reasons or perhaps they feel like they would like to get their education you know in, in person or, or other other health reasons doesn't matter uh, and what has your advice been yes Andrea I, I do have uh, one student who had primarily um, music ed observation in class courses left and then lessons in a recital and um, you know and it was difficult on everybody to kind of be sent home and then kind of you know it was a difficult situation for a lot of students and so I think this summer has been kind of figuring that out um, but the remaining courses for this student were all in person and they were going to make exceptions to be uh, essential personnel to like I guess um, do observations but we don't know how long that's going to last you know like how long the K through 12 schools are going to be in session et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you know they decided like a lot of these are teaching classes that are meant to be in person uh, you know so they're going to wait a year and with hopes of things being normal and I think that makes sense and I was like that's totally fine you know like all the core things that are left for you to do really need to be in person so that's fine and and in talking to them they said there's a lot of students who are kind of in that boat and the university has been making a you know special arrangements for those sort of circumstances um, which you know I can't speak for any other university but I'm sure that there's things like that happening where it's, it's a special circumstance um, you know so I think you know I think that's that's fine if they're going to have a better experience in doing what they need to do you know by waiting absolutely what about those students who are who are wondering whether it's a good idea for them so it's not it's not this specific situation and it's not a personal health issue or risk, but it's just, hey, I, I much prefer hanging out with my professor, my friends in person. Should I just, you know, press pause on education right now? I, you know, I've had some students ask me about that. And, you know, because Eastman is a very expensive place to go to school. And even though everyone gets help, it's still, it's still, it's still you know, it's a burden for many families. And it's, it's, you know, it's something you don't take for granted. So, um, and, you know, I, I, my, my personal approach to this is one that I'm trying to hear them and uh, kind of go to where they are with it and just say, you know, um, 
I never want to tell them what to do in that regard because I understand it's going to be, you know, on some levels, no one's going to have the same experience that they had a year ago at this time. You know, it's going to be diminished. Um, so I said, you know, I just, I told them, you know, I'm going to give you everything I got <laughs> and I will try my best to help, help, help the situation be a really positive one for you. But I, I also understand why you would feel that maybe you might want to take time off if that's what you want to do. I try to go through, for me, it's much more helping them look at it. I always think, you know, I, you know, it's like, how do I make decisions? I'm trying to like look at the goods and bads and the things that I know are important to me. And I, so I try to relate to them, you know, what's going to like to take time off. Is that going to be a negative or a positive? rather than having some kind of experience and some kind of connection um, and all of that kind of stuff. So um, it's been tricky. And I have some students, I have four students from China and some of them are not gonna be able to get back at all right now. Um, so, and we're offering, like Andrea said, mentioned, uh, we're offering a, a variety of, you, you can take you know, a hybrid situation where you're, you know, some online, some, uh, some in person or all uh, or all online too is an option for anyone that wants it. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough, you know. It's uh, but I, I really err on the side of I want the student to make that decision and try to help them be informed. But it, I don't want them to feel like anyone's twisting their arm, you know. Um, I just personally I worry about students losing steam and and you know like it, a semester off becomes a year off and then it becomes never finishing the degree. Um, and also, like we were talking about, there's there's so many positives to this online learning. Students are getting more comfortable with technology, with recording. Um, a lot of students, in my experience, are becoming more independent just because they they have to take on more responsibility on their own. Um, and I've seen not a hundred percent, but many many of my students are are probably doing better, especially through the spring semester, than they might have been doing otherwise because you know that there's for most of them more practice time um indoor was canceled so that was a big thing at, at fiu um you know there's more more time in the schedule and and no commuting you know there's just just certain elements but it's a it's a personal decision of course we can't tell anybody yes take time off or yes definitely you have to stay but that's that's a big concern for me as i see sometimes a break becoming um ne never coming back and i don't want that for any of the students I think the biggest thing, I, you know, one of the things I know from my students, and I'm sure you all feel the same way, they, you know, they come to Eastman because they want to be with the other, you know, I'd like to think they're coming just to study with me, but I know better, you know, it's nice, they got to come, but they, they're coming because there's a lot of other great musicians there, and they want to be in an environment where they're getting inspired and fed in this incubator, and that's true for all our schools, right, and, um, and then the energy from each other, so um, I think the real challenge is to try to create I found the challenge because I'm kind of an energy guy <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's one of the strengths I can bring to the students is that and um, I've tried to learn and I've actually kind of figured out that I can actually bring some energy online. You know, you, you learn how to do that. You learn how are you using your scenario and your energy can help them um, in a way that I think is really important. So, I mean, I don't know how to I don't know how to quantify that, <laughs> but I do think it's an important thing to learn and feel comfortable with the teaching mode online. Ivan and I did a week festival a few weeks ago at Eastman and it was quite successful to my surprise. I was surprised at how much I felt I could be successful. Andrew was gracious enough to be a part of that and it was great. And the students really, I think, uh, were really excited about that and got a lot out of it. So you're right, Carly, they, they can still get, they can't get what they were going to get in the same way, but they can get other things. And some of them may, you know, may thrive more um, in that scenario. So I will say that uh, as a challenge, I think music is better with a heartbeat. 
you know. And so I think the remote thing is really tough for a lot of kids because they they they're more organized when they're around people when they have to get up and go to school. And I know a lot of colleagues that we've talked to, like a lot of students fell off the grid when we went online. And so while some students thrive, I think it's a big challenge for a lot of other students. And with percussion especially, if you don't have gear, which a lot of students don't, you don't have a lot of time to practice because you don't have any <laughs> instruments. So I, I think the challenge is making sure that you're staying connected with all the students and uh, helping them get acclimated to this mode of communication um, and, and doing our best as teachers to make sure that they're organized and creating structure like MJB talked about and having a schedule. And my hopes with coming back to school is that at least even if we have to do remote, that they'll still have access to gear because I can teach from home, but having gear makes it, you know, really, even if I have to send them home with something, they're here in town and we can do that. So I think, right. um, you know, that's when you're just sent home and all you have is a book and one drum pad in your little sister's bedroom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, at that point, it's like, let's just meet and talk for each week and make sure you're okay, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to share, um, there was a wonderful episode that uh, the Peabody uh, Institute did, um, and the guest, it was last week, so it was about chamber music, I believe, or, or ensembles, and Claire Chase and Marin Alsop were guests, and Claire Chase just blew me away because you know as many people were naming the problems and so on they asked her they said claire okay so what have you been doing you've been really busy unlike most people and she has performed over 60 times in the past four months and not only has she done that she has realized she said okay i'm in a privileged position i have a teaching position i'm okay i looked around and i saw so many of my friends and artists who i admire who have lost jobs because you know they're freelancers and so she fundraised half a million dollars to be able to literally cash out those people. And she started commissioning music like crazy and going outside and this, designed a special umbrella so she could hang out with dancers in a Brooklyn park and create music. I mean, I was so inspired by the person's just vigor and intensity and energy of solving and solving. And she mentioned that for the following semester, what she's gonna do is since she's noticed that COVID is not the only burning issue right now, there are so many um, social justice issues that are emerging and so on that she is she has created a course that works as a multidisciplinary platform where the students can take whatever they have in their environment and create a piece of art with a collaborator and deliver it online and I thought that was just such a wonderfully creative approach I was so inspired uh, by her. I just thought it was it was amazing. So again, I think it feeds into that. Okay, there is no the structure is wobbly right now, at least how we used to know it, but we can create it for each other. And I think what we all really need what we recognize is we want purpose. But there's so much hunger. I mean, there's so many needs right now. And we can definitely find purpose, even if it's a small thing that you know, we decide we're going to mentor someone younger than us. And you know, we're going to ask someone who we admire to talk to us once a month because that inspires us. I mean, we can do so much. And I just, I recommend everyone to go and check that out because it's a really good boost of soul vitamin C, you know. I didn't know about that, but that's a wonderful initiative. And, you know, it's so inspiring. There's so many kind of um, solutions that people are finding. Like, we, we can't do this, but what can we do? So that's exactly. good to know. Exactly. 
you know, I have, I have another question and none of us are lawyers, so we may not know the exact legal answer to this, but I'm, I'm wondering as instructors at a university or college or even high school or, or any institution, is there any way that we are liable if somebody gets sick or somebody, you know, God forbid, dies from COVID-19, um, you know, does it matter if we're following exactly the CDC guidelines or the schools? Um, and then part two of that question is, you know, most of us probably also teach privately, at least some prospective students or, or maybe a student that's not affiliated with your institution, what kind of liability is there then, you know, especially if students are coming to the school or maybe people teach out of their house um, does anybody have any thoughts on this one? Well, I, I, would, I think that most institutions, I mean, I think there are, I mean, I'm not really, I don't really pay attention to the details of this because they're in place and we don't think of them most times, right? But there's certainly already um, uh, legal legalese in place that we are not responsible for someone, you know, if someone gets hurt on the campus, um, I think there's probably uh, normally stuff there that says, you know, hey, it's this person, um, right. unless it was like, you know, unless, you know, the third floor of the annex fell down and you, <laughs> that's a problem. But I mean, you know, um, but, uh, or, you know, you get sick, you get sick. But I think with this, I'm sure they're, I know that um, they're taking precautions and they're following CDC guidelines and whatever the state is telling them to do. And I think once they've done that, I think then, you know, it's like, you know, we're telling you what needs to be done. We're setting up the protocols. We're setting up a scenario that will allow you to function safely. And then, you know, I think that's all you can do. And I, and I have to imagine that uh, they wouldn't let us in the building and let us around the students and the students together if they were not, you know, if it wasn't going to be covered, if, you, if we weren't all protected in, in, in that way, you know. I know that we're not allowing it. I'm sure it's the same way. No one else is allowed uh, from outside the Eastman community on campus all semester and probably not next semester either. Like you can't, you know, so, um, you know, it's kind of a bubble of sorts. So, but I don't know the, you know, I don't know the, the details of it. I did hear some talk about that. And I know that, um, that there is, uh, I believe that there's um, responsibility to have the protocols in place, but not necessarily you can't be held accountable if someone gets sick, as long as you have the protocols in place. I mean, I, I think you have to think too, like if a faculty member were to get sick, whose fault is that? So I think it's, right. it goes both ways, right? If students get sick, we're all at risk, you know, and if a student gets sick, how could that be our fault? If we get sick, it's not going to be their fault, you know? And I know my campus, they're having, there's going to be, I think, students, people assigned to like monitor spaces and make sure that people are following the protocols and there's probably warnings and mild consequences as it, as it comes to that so you know uh we'll see how that goes but i think you know they're trying to make sure everybody stays within these parameters and that's you know going to be what that is sure yeah it's a it's a big can of worms and i just worry and i'm sure you know especially people that are freelancing independent contractors private studio operators um, it's a good idea to make sure make sure you know what your rights are and what your your legal responsibility is. Here's here's one more at least that I want to get get to today is what can we do as instructors and as mentors? Um, and a lot of times we're the front line of, of connection with our students. What can we do to encourage good mental health practices um, and also to take care of ourselves? What's what's been helpful to you all during this time? 
good 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 wine is really important to me. But, um, <laughs> Self care too. I know there's probably not. Uh, I'm not uh, maybe I shouldn't be recommending that. Um, you know, we talk, I, I I talked about this with these guys before. Um, you know, I don't think any of us um, have um, in the past. You know, been without a situation where you're trying to help your students through some crisis here and there, right? Um, whether it be from the tall to the small. And um, I've, this is, I'm, this, I'm stepping into this is my 36th year of college teaching. And um, it's amazing the things you see over that period of time, you know. So, um, so I've always considered myself someone that has, you know, been involved with the students or just try to help them when they were having troubles that were, you know, um, not, not musically related. And um, I think it's really important for everyone at every school to know where they should send their students. You know, they need to know where the specialists are. They need to know, you know, because you can help, but you're not a doctor, you're not the person. And I think also it's you gotta be careful with how deeply you get involved in those situations as well. I think it's, it's you know, talking, speaking to what Carly was saying about, you know, um, protecting yourself. And I think just making sure you know, like, you know, uh, oh, you know, here's, you need to talk to someone and encourage, I've, I've encouraged my students many times to talk to people and get someone to talk to and get them, whether it be someone related to university, get, go through that system or outside of it. And then, you know, that could be anything from a mental health issue to someone who feels like they got tendonitis in their wrist, right? There's a, a variety of things you're always saying. Um, but uh, I think it's really important for, for, for teachers to know uh, where those um, support groups are and where those specialists are for their students. That's really, really important. I was just going to add that, uh, you know, it, with the uh, remote instruction in the spring and going into the summer months, I've found some time in the middle of the day that I never had in a normal semester where I could just sit down for a moment and, uh, and lay down for a moment, uh, whether that was 10 minutes or 30 minutes, um, and find some time to just be with myself. Uh, and uh, that's something that I'm going to try to carry into a, a, sem a semester like this fall and, and even, you know, a year from now. Um, and also encourage that with my students. Uh, it's something I'm trying to learn more about. Uh, and, uh, but uh, as Michael was saying, there's so many resources on our campuses that we can uh, recommend with our students and professionals. Um, and, you know, th these things come up uh, at any moment in time, not just in a pandemic. And so, uh, being, a, being aware of what kinds of resources are available on the campus uh, and the availability of professionals uh, to refer your students to um, is, is really important. And so just taking time to, to research that and learn more about that uh, is, is, is key. You know, I was going to say one more thing just in relation to that, because one thing I always do, and Andrea, who was a member of my studio, we, you know, we always have... I do... Uh, we always have a beginning of the year, like many places, a picnic, and we hang out. We play a game together and do a lot of fun stuff. We have a, you know, a holiday gift exchange and, you know, whatever. And the students, of course, that I do that to encourage them to become connected and also to, so they can see me outside of school and running around trying to play football with them or something and all that kind of fun stuff. But, you know, those well, are great things to do. Oh, yeah, we play football every year here. You'd be surprised. But oh, wow. uh, <laughs> I'm all-time all quarterback, I, you know. So. <laughs> Um, While they played football one time, though, I sat in the grass with some people, and we did a competition on who could stuff the most chips in our mouth. That's what I was doing. I think Andrea probably won that competition. If I'm <laughs> exactly. But you know, I, I think you know, those are the things I'm. You know, I think um, being creative too to find ways because I can't have a picnic and I can't 
we can't get the beginning of the year grill out together, you know, so uh, finding ways to do some online things with them, maybe to get them together, to get them outside of the school so just to get them in kind of a social setting this I know it's weird, but I'm, I've been thinking about that myself, what can I do. Um, that would, you know, never going to take the place of that, but um, to help us get outside the music stuff and everything else to just sort of be together and kind of goof around, maybe some kind of online game or whatever it is, you know, so those are things that I've been thinking about myself. Play Minecraft together. Everybody's going to get really hyped if you are the kind of teacher that plays Minecraft. <laughs> Can't play football, but maybe one day we'll go and see Mr. Bird play. <laughs> Listen, we're gonna, I think if we do it next year, I'm going to broadcast to Facebook Live. Please. Like annual Eastman Fall fo Football you know, Palooza. Basic online, <laughs> you can see. Uh, 2021, we need to just divide like the Yale school people, the Eastern people. <laughs> Y'all can play your sports. We're going to the alligator farm. That's what we did last. <laughs> we chips, yeah. Lovely thoughts. Um, thank you all so much. Thank you, Michael, Thad, and Andrea for joining us. Thank you for your work on the task force. Um, we appreciate it and at percussion and I know the whole percussion community and music community appreciates your work very, very much. Thanks for joining us today. Um, and I hope I see you all um, in person sooner rather than later as soon as it's safe to do so. So thank you. Take care. Um, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks so much for having thank us. You. Appreciate it. Th and thanks for all of your positive energy, guys. We appreciate that too. So thanks everybody. No, thank, you. thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. Bye. Bye.